Welcome to the DTS Fitness Education Podcast. The aim of the podcast is to give you usable content for you if you're a health and fitness enthusiast or for your clients if you're a health and fitness professional. With different points of view and a little bit of fun, we break down information to give insights that empower and hopefully inspire through a lens of longevity and pain-free living for everyone. So stay tuned and enjoy. Today on the DTS Fitness Education Podcast, we've got David Weck. David is the founder of Weck Method and inventor of the BOSU Balance Trainer. His influence reaches millions of people across the globe. He's been helping people for more than 25 years, from world-class athletes to disabled individuals regaining the ability to walk. Is a consummate student of movement. David's amassed more than 40,000 hours devoted to the study of human movement with intense focus on locomotion and its relationship to enhancing functional movement. David's latest training methods and new Pro Pulse Speed Trainers are transforming the world of training and sports performance. His stated mission is every step stronger for everyone. So let's have a little listen and stay tuned. Welcome to the DTS Fitness Education Podcast. My name is Ben McDonald, and I am here with the movement maestro, David Weck. How are you, my mate? Ben, I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm, I'm not bad. I'm not bad. I'm, I'm, I'm literally living the dream. Aside from a flaming tree fell on me yesterday, which was chopping down, I didn't have respect for the job that people do who chop trees down. It's quite dangerous, mate. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That, that's a whole science to taking the tree down. We, I grew up with a, a backyard that was a, a lot of trees, and we had this wizard with trees. And you'd have big storms where a big old you know, top of a tree come down, land on a fence or whatever. And there is a whole art and science of which way that sucker's going to actually go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, that was my first time taking one down, mate. And uh, I think I'll probably leave it next time. Do you know what I mean? It'll be my last. Yeah, pick up the phone, call someone who's done it before. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, my mate. So we are gonna, we're going to roll. We're going to roll straight into it with question number one. Why is movement so important for us, David, as human beings, human organisms? Well, it's, it's the relationship to pressure. It's the fundamental existence within the realm that we are. And gravity defines both where and when. So where is center of the earth, this downward force, an acceleration factor of 9.8 meters per second squared. And you have to move to live internally, you have to move to live in terms of getting to things and away from things. And the quality, the quality with which you can move and control, conduct yourself, comport yourself, gives you either a positive, generative, nutritive return or a, ooh, that hurts and it's sort of debilitating return or somewhere in the middle and you're constantly sort of going back and, you know, get injured, have to do this and that. But movement is, efficient movement is a form of intelligence that supports the mind and the spirit. So when we can give the body this animalistic ease and this, this like, confidence that 
you're not afraid because it doesn't hurt and you, and you can actually engage in it and have fun. Now the mind and the spirit is free to, to grow and actualize itself further. And so a very simple question, why do we have to move? Well, you got to move, but it's actually the most profound. And the quality with which you do it can give you a reserve so that your body has more to give and you can get better even as you transcend and pass that sort of aging curve. Like you know, when you're 20 years old, you're more springy and powerful than when you're 50. So you're going to be diminishing on your strength curve. Your, you know, the bones will become more brittle. But the quality with which you move your body, you can actually increase or prevent the degradation of performance simply through quality. So for example, like I, I can right now at the age of 50, I can get off the line in a start for 10 yards like I could when I was running, you know, my fastest at 18, 19, 20 years old-ish, right? And it's, I'm, I am not as powerful as I once was, but the technique is more nuanced and more refined. So I'm using myself better. So the potential to, to sort of, you know, outlast, you know, what you would expect and to have fun into your, it, it, anyway, I mean, you go on and on, but that's, movement is important, yes, and vitally important. <laughs> I'm loving it. Long I answer. Can see, this is gonna, I can see where this is going. We, we could be here for like two hours. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, right, right. We'll, we'll, we'll plow through. <laughs> <laughs> okay, excellent, my mate. All right, question number two. If you could only use one, David, one, Movement assessment, what would it be and why? I think it would have to be locomotion because that's the default most functional application of ourself is to move our bodies from point A to point B to C to D, etc. So if you were going to use only one movement assessment so it's not even modality a movement assessment is i'd want to see the way that you walk the way that you jog slash run and that will give us information that pertains to the most important aspect which is just sort of okay i have to walk to the horse riding ring i walk to the swimming pool i walk to the bench press i walk to wherever i walk to so i would say that that probably is your most important just a, a nice gait pattern. Yes, a gait pattern where you have the stroll, where, you, where you're harnessing the figure eight, and it's, it's the core. See, everything is reactive with the ground because gravity, ha you have to load to explode, or you have to go down to go up. So it, really, it, it starts with your core. You want core control to create this serpentine strolling movement where you have reversibility. You have that economy. You're not using too much. There's a beautiful grace and elegance to a really dialed in gait pattern. And what people don't think of it is that, and even you have conventional textbooks saying, you know, well, walking is a series of controlled falls. Really? Like, that's what walking is? That's not what walking is for me. Walking is 100% balanced on one side. Then I do the shifting of my body weight, this complex 
but basic spiraling action to get to the other side, to get to the other side. So there's no falling whatsoever. <laughs> I'm not falling. And, and if we want to talk about falling, well, we're all falling. This cup of water, well, guess what? It's falling. The table's preventing it. So the gravity is working. So yes, I use swinging, throwing, and locomotion as sort of like the functional trinity that is where we come from. And the fundamental tools, sticks, stones, and ropes, were the very first tools slash weapons that allowed us to leverage our capacity to be creative and do more with what we have. So locomotion is, okay, that's the one that, if you do that well, then you're supporting your life. You're supporting your life. So you're more athletic and your longevity and you're happier. You're not in pain. I mean, it's all good things come from strong locomotion. Fantastic, mate. I like it. I like that. And I love the explanation as well, mate. I like that. We're not, if you want to talk about falling, we're all falling. Just something stopping us from falling. <laughs> yeah. The, bone, the skeletal structure, when, when you have skeletal integrity, bone integrity, then the fascial network and the myofascia, it gets to bounce those bones, float those bones, move those bones. But if the skeleton isn't right, well, now there's compensatory control to, to manage the fact that you don't have the structural stability. And it's a complex soup because of all these joints and articulations. And there is not a straight line. It's a spiral dynamic. So it's basically the skillful management of time and space. I like it, mate. And my background is uh, combat sport. So with combat sport, like any type of martial art, be it boxing, uh, Aikido, all these different sorts of fighting sports, everything is circles. Like literally everything is spiral based. The wonderful thing about, so I, reduce, I like to reduce things down to super simple. So I look at movement as, okay, we have fight and flight, fight and flight, two sides of the same coin, and you have freeze right? Freeze is what you don't want to do, right? But fight and flight. And so the martial discipline, if it ultimately comes down to protecting air and blood to your brain, well, then there's a certain uh, honesty with respect to that form of training, where you're understanding where the center line is. You're understanding how to cross the line without being crossed. You're understanding how to move without moving. You're understanding all these conundrums that hones it into the razor's edge in terms of, oh yes, there is a spiral dynamic. Like if I can take my, my wrist and articulate the teacup, right? And make it very, very close to the chin, oh, okay, well, that means my shoulder's really fluid and now my elbow feels good and such and such, right? And that's that mar martial intent keeps things honest. And so does locomotion. When you use time to get from here to there and you can calibrate whatever effort level you're, you're after, but time is very objective. So if we can make you go from here to there faster, especially with a perception that you have worked less hard, that's the ultimate win. And without the understanding of fight and flight, your training lacks discipline. 
if it's just, you know, the next choreography of like, oh, let's do this, let's do that, just, hey, moving is good, let's just move. Well, now it's sort of like putting your pennies into a piggy bank that you forgot to put the little rubber stopper in the bottom because there's really not a, an aggregating muscle memory and coordinative effect where you're honing and honing and honing and getting more and more refined in your movement. So your strength becomes smarter and smarter. So the martial is critical to understanding the martial science principles. Number one, martial science principles face the force. You got to face the force. And gravity is that force acting on the whole thing. And facing it is finding that ultimate sense of power on the right side, where you have that figure eight scoop and you have the boom on the left side. And you have the overhand spiral, you have the underhand spiral. And it's about pulsing energetically in positions of strength, doing the work to arrange yourself in the air so that when you're there, you're already there. And this is, again, back to this walking is a series of controlled falls. Yeah, if you're ramrod straight, your heel comes way out in front and you have to sort of thud and, and roll over it. Well, you're not there when you got there. You weren't balanced. But if you just simply aim to put your head over your foot, head over the foot, now you're facing the force with a plumb line center of gravity that, boom, oh, that's easy. Oh, that's easy. Oh, yes. So that's, <laughs> that's my answer there. <laughs> I love that, mate. I love that. As you start getting into that sort of uh, athleticism, David, when people can be a little rigid, like true athleticism is having the ability to relax and then yes. boom, contract and then relax again, you know, drop out of it. And, and I suppose that carries over into everything in, in everyday life as well, you know? The fluidity, the fluidity. You're not bound up. You're, you're very free to move fast without getting hurt. Nice. Love it, my mate. I love it. Yes. Okay. Question number three. Which activity would give a client the biggest bang for their book. So easiest could be most accessible, whatever it may be, activity. Activity. Well, I would say that we're going to have to qualify what we mean by easiest, okay? But the exercise or I would say activity would be becoming conversant with a rope, the rolling of the rope, the rotational movement training of a rope where you're not jumping through the rope. So jumping through the rope is a trick, and we all know the trick. Some of us do the trick, but where the real value in training with a rope is in terms of extracting muscle memory that you have forever when the activity is done that will now inform the other things that you do, it's learning four basic patterns with the rope. And now we get into easy, difficult, you know, easy versus hard. It's easy to do very simple movements with the rope. So you begin with what is manageable and you understand the principles of it, of this alternating bilateral usage where you're getting that non-dominant side intelligence and you have the real-time feedback of the rope and it never lies, it tells you. So if you're sincere, meaning you're going to do what you can. You're going to apply yourself into a certain presence that's necessary. And you learn those patterns. You get 
so many repetitions per unit of time and you get real-time sensation of the quality of the reps where you know instantly if you're off. So the attenuation to this perfection is always right there. And in the beginning, you're rough around the edges, but I would say that the, the greatest investment that a person could make in a singular like modality would be learn the ropes. It just takes patience and persistence and you just do it. And some of the patterns are very difficult to learn, but once you've ingrained certain skills, then, oh, okay, then the other skills become easier to coordinate. And we're seeing this happen. I started the ropes in 2004 is when I basically came up with the idea of, hey, learn four fundamental patterns besides jumping through and now you've really gotten the athletic quality of the rope and that that generative right brain left brain harmonization with the rope so the brain the right hemisphere left hemisphere is connected by the corpus callosum in the center and when you cross the center line with one and you learn to cross with the other and you're crossing and uncrossing with this precision because the rope tells you that okay yes it is in fact they're communicating well together you're taking large areas of the brain the motor and sensor the motor and sensory cortices of the brain which house a huge amount of real estate devoted to these hands so the digital intelligence of your hands and what can't you do with your hands or what can't you learn to do with your hands so when you take all of that matter in the brain and now you, in a gross motor sense, because it's not the intricacy of the fingers, it's where the hand is and the wrist, you get this spiraling effect that winds and whips the fascial connection so that what you're doing with your hand becomes like a cheetah's tail influence to your body. And so you start surprising yourself. A month of rolling the ropes with just a daily practice, you will have an experience where you, you, you do something and you react in a manner where you're like, whoa, I've never even practiced that and I pulled it off. Like Joe Duarte, MMA fighter, he told me in wrestling, he had never ever done a left-hand switch where you drill down and, and turn the corner on your opponent. He did the ropes and boom. He said, I can't believe it. I pulled off a left-sided switch and I didn't even practice it. So... That would say, I would say that that's probably greatest bang for buck is become conversant with the rope and you don't have to jump through it. And I think the other point about not having to jump through it is if you have to jump through it, well, a lot of people aren't going to do that. A lot of people probably shouldn't do that because if you're overweight and you're not super coordinated, well, then the last thing you want to do is pound yourself into oblivion for 20 minutes trying to burn calories with really only that muscle memory, you know, you don't have the rotational muscle memory. So that's what I would say. I like that, David. I like that. And I think with a rope as well, there's a big thing about all the flow movements and all this that, and the other. But with that, it truly shows you. It's like if the rope goes slack or it cracks or it bends or whatever it may be, you've got to really get it fluid with acceleration and deceleration. And with that, I've actually been using ribbons and I found them to work fantastically well. Uh, I, bought, I got this uh, piece of equipment off a gentleman, Kurtley got, 
it's, it looks like a little dumbbell, but it's got long ribbons attached to it. Mm. So you mm. can flow with it. But then yeah, there's a trailer. There's a trailer. Yeah, but then yeah you can there's make a it delay. Crack. Do you see what yes, I'm saying? Yes, like a whip. Like yeah, a whip. So you can, boom, you make it crack. So you've got the power and the acceleration. Yes. I thought it was uh, like true real dynamicism and um, yes. I don't even know if that's a word, but it sounded good. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, very dynamic and dynamic, dynamicism. <laughs> it gets the point across. <laughs> Fantastic, mate. I love that. Like me personally, I love a bit of rope training. You know what I mean? Yes. Fantastic. Okay. Now, if you could pick only one, one movement-based exercise now, which one would you use and why? So the activity was the rope. Uh -huh. You could class that as an exercise as well. But yes. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna push you. I'm gonna ask for another one. Okay, so one movement-based exercise. Which would I use? I mean, I'm biased. I have my own methodology. So WEC method is really, if we take a step back and we look at what WEC method is, it's informed by a Taoist approach to understanding. So the Tao that can be spoken of is not the Tao. So you're removed from you know the truth. And the only way that we can understand something is by taking an angle and then comparing the opposite side. So hot and cold. Okay, now we have polarities, right? So what, what I do is I look at that and I look at the body as, okay, we have a right side, we have a left side. We have an up, we have a down. We have a fast, we have a slow. We have a front, we have a back. So if we're constantly comparing and contrasting the polarities and expanding our capabilities to be to a mastery of those polarities, now we have a greater aggregate and control of the center or, or what we're seeking to achieve, which is, you know, it, like I can move well. So this both sides utilized approach, which I got from the acronym BOSU, BOSU, the BOSU ball, used, I created the name for both sides up. And then a few years into the process, I met a man named Dean Brittenham who was talking about whole brain thinking and ambidexterity and this stuff. And so my philosophy, so it, it, it led to the, the morphing of both sides up to describe a device to both sides utilize to describe your brain, the upper, the lower, the emotion, the intellect, like every aspect opposites. So with that framework, what I would say that the most important exercise, if you had to pick one movement-based exercise, I would say coiling core training would be the number one. And basically the way it works is what we do is we train side, side, center, and then we put them together so that you have the figure eights. So if you're going to take those side, side, center, and then alternating, it's the coiling core training is the concentration on one side, the longest, weaponizing the elbow as long as strong as it can possibly be, then coiling, dialing in, and, and taking that spine and optimizing the spinal engine for locomotion by making one side the longest it can be and the other side coiled into the spring, the, the closed, I guess most coiled it can be, that's 
your most important thing because when you have full on one side and you have full on the other side, well, now you have the space to exist and be strong and fluid to the maximum. And nothing will enhance your ability to locomote immediately better than mastery of that figure eight coil. So going to the extremes on it, I would say is a foundation that sets you up so that now you have much more bandwidth in which to grow and progress. And you'll find that your bilateral stuff goes way up strong too, because bilateral packing, whether I do it where I'm, you know, packing it back like this or Cobra like this, I will get more from those postures having drilled to the side and use that to boom. Now use that to pack bilaterally. So I would say that coiling core training would be the one thing that gives you the widest bandwidth from which to operate your body proximal first to distal. I like that. So as far as that goes, David, would you say that the movement re would remain the same? Yes. It would just be the movement window that would be dictated by the capacity of the person you work with. Basically what it is, is yes. The, basically the way that the spinal engine works is you have the gates in martial arts, the hips and the shoulders. Basically, they have to communicate with one another, whereby we're creating this underhand figure eight with the shoulder and an overhand figure eight with the hips. And so if we look at the spine, the juncture between T12 and L1, that's basically the constant line where if we drew a line across there, the ninth rib will descend to that point. So you have... A, a locus right here that becomes the constant about which the shoulder comes down and back and the same side hip comes up and forward, that point didn't move. So I'm orienting around that point and I can get my foot way up high and my body is coiled here. Imagine like going up to dunk a basketball or precursor to that, right? Yeah. So that gives me the ability to now, boom, change and be on the other side without changing my center of mass. And if I can do that on both sides, well, now I have the utmost capacity of my core with direct transmission to the floor with a base that can change. So if, if I don't have to move my center of mass, but I can change my base of support without moving the center of mass, now, all that's, all, what that does is that gives me the drop, the athletic drop. I can create an angle and I can be loading the ground because I didn't have to change to move. So I'm already poised to go. Which way do I want to go? Depends which side I got to drop. And I'll just base it on what the, what's happening here, right? So that coiling core training gives you the capacity of mastery of the two-for-one balance where you have both sides balance on one foot. And that's the work that I'm doing now with, uh, with the WEG steps and the six lines of intent where you're taking the foot, understanding the center line of the foot, and then what you do is you use your shoulder angles to say, okay, I'm gonna learn my foot is here, my shoulder's at 45 degrees, my shoulder's at 30 degrees. 
So if I understand outside 45 degree shoulder above that foot, and I know how to transition to 30 degrees inside, I have a figure eight, boom, boom, boom. They're like chords on the guitar or chords on the piano, like these, that 45 degrees here and the 35, the 30 degrees here, and then a 15 degree here. Those are resonant chords where you can harmonize that and understand how to be like a pulley system on both sides of that line. So again, your foot is not changing. You're on one, but you have your balance on the inside of the foot. You have your balance on the outside of the foot and you can switch and scoop and change. And it's, it, it's, it's actually relatively simple to set this up and train it and just become conversant with it. So, I mean, it, it's like, I'm super optimistic that like, finally we're going to get some, we're going to get somewhere in exercise. Finally. Like I, I'm, I'm super optimistic. Like now it's like, and now what my focus now is I just want to be effective. I just want to share. I don't care about being right or wrong or, you know, like, Oh, you know, you're wrong. I'm right. No, that's not what it's about. It's about, look, what can I do to share information and let the information speak for itself? Just, you know, do the exercise, feel the performance, right? And then, you know, let the, like, let the good peer pressure, let the athletes figure out, like, oh, yeah, I want to I have what he's having because I want to be better. I don't want to be, you know, bracing my core, trying to anti-rotate, which is that runs counter to martial science. So if it's against fight and flight and it's teaching you to freeze in a weak position where you're uprooted, the stronger you hold and try to hold the brace against a transverse resistance, the more uprooted you are. And that means that you're now working hard, recruiting your muscles, sympathetically organizing yourself, and you're incapable of doing anything in that moment. Does anybody else see a problem? I think that's where we are. Nice, mate. Anybody who's listening, please make sure that you watch this podcast because like David's like he stood up he's got like yeah, right. he's, you know what I mean? he's like uh, so if, hit, if you're not sure in that, in that verticalization boom <laughs> i love it mate i love it very expressive mate that's how it goes yes all right so question number five what are your yep. top tips david for movement improvement awareness balance control abc you cannot make change that you can guide and be in control of if you're not aware so awareness is the number one that's the first step we have to become aware and in that somatic sense like the rope it makes you very very aware of how the hands are communicating with one another are they doing it well or are they do it not doing it well? I need to know. I need to know right now because I need to be able to correct it. And if I'm not aware, well, then I'm just haphazard making mistakes. Balance, okay? Balance is the – another name for balance is just coordination. It's appropriate timing of where and when. The, you know, what position are you in? When are you there? And it's a fluid dynamic exchange. And seeking the balance – is seeking to optimize the efficiency and output of the system. 
So that's really what it is. Awareness. Okay. Balance. I want to balance all the qualities that go into whatever that is. And that's where we get the control. So it's a simple formula. And another ABC is always be coiling. Because if you have that sensation where you can coil all the way to one side and coil all the way to the other side, well, now you have that balance rooted all the way to the extreme polarity on one. And that means that I can, boom, I can always go and get there. So always be coiling, awareness, balance, control. I love it. ABCs, my man. A lot of my inventions... That's what they do. Like they're objects that we manipulate. The BOSU ball makes you very, very aware of the subtlety and the nuance to all that's happening. The propulsors, they're the hand weights where you use them to, to, to load the ground faster and create a spike with the arms in terms of force delivered to the ground so that you're moving like Deion Sanders and Randy Moss and people who can really move athletically. It gives you the awareness. You get a, a audible, you get a tactile, you get kinesthetic, like boom, oh yes, that's what it feels like to send a boom, to create a jolt of force. RMT club, same thing. They're feedback mechanisms that stem from a training philosophy that gives us awareness, balance, and control. Love it, mate. ABCs, I'm like, that's it, I'm in. <laughs> I like it, very simple. <laughs> keep it simple the kiss principles my friend next question question number six when it comes to movement what areas tend to get overlooked hands and feet your fingers and toes the digital intelligence so i i teach something called the core fist and when and it's basically a triangulation of the bone structure that creates this a fist where I can triangulate my bones to the center and I can create an internal tensegrity where the force of my flexion gets routed back in through the skeleton. And with this position here, once you know it and practice it, if I set your hand in it, it would be there and you could do it. The harder I squeeze my fist here in this position, the harder I squeeze it, the more fluid my shoulder becomes. So I get an opposite effect to a conventional fist where the harder I squeeze this, the less fluid the shoulder becomes because here I'm not, I don't have skeletal integrity. I can't keep going. If I kept going, I will damage this, right? I can't send the force through a long bone transmission. I have a joint that will fail if I keep going. So by triangulating it, now all of the flexion force, boom, gets rooted back in. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And this is something where you can dial it back so you don't have to think as much about the fingers and you start thinking about the hands. Like, okay, what's the global position of the hand? If I put the hand in this dart position here, like this, it has a springy bounce and a pop to it where I'm as striking as if with this here. When I put the hand in a hook position here, it allows me to raise it up much easier and have an articulation. And the ropes teach you this because you're doing it with a rope. And so naturally, again, you get this cheetah's tail effect of like, 
oh, I need to lift my hip up a tiny bit more. Oh, I just do that. And now that fascial tensegrity, I can lift my foot higher now because I just did that from there to there. And you can feel it. <laughs> and it happens. And then the feet, the feet, the, the hands are unlimited in scope in terms of what we can teach the hands to do, what the hands can learn. Now the feet, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of unrealized potential in terms of what the feet might be capable of. Maybe you can paint pictures and stuff, drink coffee with your feet, you know, if you had to, but really what the most important thing, and this is something that it's going to sound sort of funny and ridiculous to most people, but the strength and coordination and smarts of your toes will determine so much of whether or not your back hurts you and how well you can move and sustain good movement. The toes will reflexively flex if they sense, if your body senses imbalance. So your toes will do this, right? So if you stand somebody up on one leg and say, all right, balance on one leg, and you watch their toes, it'll just be like these randomized flexions of the feet like that, right? As they sort of seek for stability. Now, if you're trying to move, and the toe flexes, you just pitted a tiny little flexor muscle of your toe against the weight and leverage of your body, where it's no match. And you've disturbed the capacity of your feet to roll. So your feet can only roll if the toes have a passive strength where they're long and strong, and we have that toe dorsiflexion or toe extension that here gives you the foot that is strong and coordinated and smart not fighting against itself which is slower and damaging i mean you look at the horror show that there's so many people's feet because the damage just compounds year after year after year so neglected areas hands and feet and both of those areas are huge inroads for what I do. And I have a big announcement on the WEC steps. I'm doing a, a big announcement that, that, that people can stay tuned for, that WEC steps are the, a wedge that provides this surface angle that supports your foot in the ideal proportion to prevent collapse and unify the structural strength of the strong outside part of the foot with the long inside part of the foot. So what it does is it puts you up on a pitch that puts the big toe going uphill, but from the inside heel to the outside ball is going downhill. So it's this X that's cocking the spring that's preventing you from collapsing in the inside the big toe, but it's sending your weight out laterally so that you get in the ball of your foot. And once you're past the threshold with the ball of the foot, then there's no collapse because the heel is off the ground. And so transformative training. And I got big announcement. I'm very excited about it. I can't really say it now, but um, listeners out there, by the time you hear it, it's probably out. <laughs> Stay Mate, I'm excited. I'm excited. I don't know about you. I think one of the biggest things that people, that I sort of recognize, a realization that I had, the key, probably the biggest key to human evolution is the foot. Without the foot, like we went from quadruped to bipedal, which freed up the hands, 
which then allowed us to do tons of different things. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, it, yeah no, absolutely. listen, the hand, the hand, what, what we have that whales don't have and dolphins don't have is we have 10 fingers. So we can do the detailed work. The devil is in the details. We can take out a splinter. We can do the, the minutia with this. We can turn it just so, 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 right? We can do anything with the hands. And so by giving the allocation of, of role and responsibility to say feet, you don't need to articulate and grab on and do things anymore. If you watch a chimpanzee, they think with their toes. It'll be sitting there and it'll be like doing this with its toes. Like it still uses its foot to grasp things and to manipulate things and to do things. But what we did was we said, all right, we're done with the trees as home base, right? We're using the ground as home base and the feet, they're for walking. Mm. I mean, really that's what they're for. And that means that the toe action is extension and passive strength and coordination to roll the feet and roll the bones so you're not banging on the bones you're rolling them and you're making music as you move a beautiful my mate we're making foot music i love it yes <laughs> okay then my mate uh, so david what has been happening with you my friend what's been going on well i have a creative drive where i'm very inventive and I, my life tends to go with sort of, you know, little manic climbs. I get very excited about things and then sort of like, okay, I'll get on shift and change. And this whole COVID-19, you know, pandemic really sort of put a, you know, so much uncertainty into the world and so much just sort of like, okay, what is the truth, right? So what I've been doing is I've been focusing inward on becoming physically and emotionally as strong and resilient as I can possibly be. So I have a resolve to get in tune with my balance and with my sustainable strength and my efficiency so that I can feel a genuine sense of like, I'm okay. And that allows me to sort of navigate the world where you're bombarded with all these externalities that can ruin your day if you're not careful, right? And locking down and closing down the world, like it's been a very difficult time for a lot of people. And so what I've been doing is I've been really hunkering down and focused on how am I communicating what I have to share with the marketplace. And I realize the creative juices that make these discoveries, they're not necessarily the lemonade that shares the innovations, right? So I have a little bit of piss and vinegar in me. And, you know, I, you know there's a certain part of me that's like, okay, yeah, you know, you're my enemy. I'm going to defeat you. And, you know, there's like that competitive aspect. But now... Like that helped me learn what I have learned. But now I'm shifting focus on just effectiveness and sharing with my world. I don't want enemies. I don't care. And, and if I have an enemy, okay, whatever. I'm not going to focus on that. So I'm focused on sharing what's, what, what is true and what is good. 
And so that's, that's what I'm up to right now. And I'm reaching a level, a level of maturity to recognize where my strengths are, where my weaknesses are, and then using the, okay, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, kind of like, okay, you know, let God sort them out. I don't need to persecute anybody. Like, I don't, I don't need to tell people that they're wrong anymore. Like, that doesn't help. Human beings are emotional. The, the emotion will govern and undermine the logic because it's the limbic system that is basically what has to jive, right? You're motivated by the limbic system, the emotions. And so when somebody who teaches you to brace your core neutral and super stiff and resist rotation and run that way, they can't process correct information coming at them because it conflicts with their cognitive bias of what they've invested in. I used to have a mindset of like, okay, well, that's unforgivable because you're not logical. Now I'm realizing, well, wait a minute, it's perfectly logical that they're emotionally vested into something. So they're not going to change the, you know, just from a logical thing. So you need to now appeal to their emotions and say, listen, how can we communicate? How, you know, what can I do that's not offensive? Well, you'll hear something and actually lead to positive change that could then contribute to the collective knowledge of everybody, right? So a lot of people do a lot of good things and there's some bad sprinkled in, you know, at a fundamental level. And I believe it can change. And it's, it's being, you know, it's just communicating effectively. Less like immature, stupid nonsense and just more just like, here's the facts, here's what to do. So that's, that's my answer. Beautiful, my mate. I like that. Education is good, my friend. Education is good. And then what, what's been going on with the, uh, with the wet method, David? Well, the live trainings, we had to put that on hiatus with shutdown. So we did our first live virtual session with pulsers, bands, and ropes. And it, Chris Chamberlain conducted it. We had our team in the background fielding it. And it was a smashing success. Everybody enjoyed it so much. And they really were able to learn effectively. So we're pivoting like everybody else and we will start to do more virtual stuff. And then I have, I'm going to call it three new inventions. So I have one new invention coming. That's a rope and it's super exciting. I have an adjustment to the propulsors where we're making a change to them to, 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 to make them quieter. And then the WEC steps, I'm doing a rebrand on the WEC steps where I'm going to do them right. And that's all coming, imminent, in the next couple of few months. So Fantastic. I'm super excited. Brilliant. And, and for anybody who's listening or watching, all the links to uh, the WEC Method website, to all the uh, things that David just mentioned are going to be in the podcast description. So you can just yes. click on them. <laughs> And you'll go uh, straight to the uh, straight to the website. Yes. So that's all going to be in there now, David. Now, now comes the time. Now comes the time you've been waiting for it. I know you've been waiting. This is the. It was all just a build up to this point. Yeah, yeah. Who would win a fight between a great white shark and a saltwater croc, and why? Okay, it's a really fun one. It's a really fun one. And so I'm going to give you a full answer on this, okay? So depends on the depth of the water. 
In shallow water, the croc is going to win every time because the croc makes its home in that shallow water and he's far more maneuverable in that shallow water. If we're in the deep ocean, then the great white is going to have the ability to like go deep and plunge and, and just be so much faster at covering distance. So I, I, deeper water, a shark has the edge. To shallow water, the croc has the edge. But we didn't pit the mammals. The <laughs> mammals. The mammals who can do this. You see, a shark, he's pretty much here. And a croc, he's pretty much here. They're sidebenders. But the mammals, we're sidebenders. But we can also porpoise and fletch like this. And a shark, he can only surface and jump out of the water after a deep plunge and a boom, boom, and he can do it once. A killer whale can jump out of the water as many times as he wants. And a dolphin will kill a shark. I don't know about a croc, but <laughs> So, that's David, my answer. <laughs> that, you know what? Out of everybody, out of everybody who's ever answered that question, and that was the most expressive I'm going to say aggressive answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's who's going to win. <laughs> Brilliant. All right, my mate. David, thank you very much for coming on, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. Likewise. And I'm going to finish it with a... Go David Webb! All right. Just put me in the octagon. I love it. That's great. <laughs> That was the DTS Fitness Education Podcast. You can follow us on social media or visit us at dtsfitnesseducation.com for more knowledge applied. Remember, there's a new episode weekly. So thanks for listening and go DTS Fitness Education!